So who scares you or intimidates you? Nobody yet. Nobody yet. My toddler's preschool class has gotten me sick eight times this year so far in, in a very short since September. They terrify me going there because I'm like, which will I get today? Hand, foot, and mouth disease, strep throat, respiratory virus. What? Which today's, you know, that's what scares me. If you haven't already guessed it, that was Kara Swisher, host of both the New York Times opinion podcast Sway and the Vox Media podcast Pivot. Loved by many, including me, and feared by some. I'm Michael Revo, and this is Blazing Trails, a podcast from Salesforce Studios. And I'm here with my podcast partner, Rachel Levin, to kick off the new year. Hello, Rachel. Hey, Michael. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about kicking off 2022 with this great series that we worked so hard on for the last few months. Mm -hmm. For the next several episodes, we're going to focus on some fearless, amazing women, true trailblazers, who have crucial roles in the worlds of tech, finance, journalism, and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. We've got Sarah Fryer, CEO of Nextdoor, who talks about the power of mentorship. And we hear from Sherry Rollins-Weston, president of Sesame Street Workshop, about how business leaders could be a little more effective if they just took a few key lessons from the Muppets. <laughs> and we also speak with leaders from MasterCard and the New York Stock Exchange. That's right, Michael. But today, it's all about Kara Swisher. And for the few people who don't already know, Kara is the dominant journalist in tech. And she is because she cuts through the jargon and PR nonsense and gets to the heart of the issues. Mm -hmm. Sometimes bluntly and always brilliantly. Let's get things started with my conversation with Kara Swisher, host of both the New York Times opinion podcast Sway and the Vox Media podcast Pivot. Kara, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Okay, well, I just wanted to start with kind of a broad question. What do you think has changed the most for women in journalism in the past five or 10 years? Journalism? Not a whole lot. I think, you know, journalism's always been one of the few places where you see a lot of prominent women in big roles, reporting roles, especially not so much in the leadership of uh, newspapers and media organizations and, you know, digital organizations. So I don't know so much has changed in that regard. Um, you know, of course, in tech, there's almost no movement for women, you know, over the past forever, I guess forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what's your take on that? How come there's been, movement has been so slow there? I don't know, sexism. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You know, misogyny, sexism, you know, pattern matching, mixing up, you know, thinking meritocracy when it's a mirrortocracy, comfort mm -hmm. with someone who looks like you. I don't know. It can go on and on. You know, the idea that only men can do tech. I, I don't I, I honestly, it's ridiculous, but whatever. That it's, it's what it is. And the statistics continue to be unbearable in terms of not just women, but people of color. And then to get the the attitude from a lot of techies that they're only there uh, because they're the best and it's just not accurate. It's just not accurate. Right. So do you think it's just an intractable problem? Uh, it's sort of like talking about can Facebook be fixed, right? <laughs> no, mm -hmm. no. Yes, it is. It's an intractable problem. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure when people realize that diversity, I mean, people always do things in their self-interest. And so if you have a company being run by all white men, they're going to think they're the best and they're going to think it's in their self-interest to keep it that way. So I'm not sure what can actually change, you know, if VC, if it starts earlier in the, in the process with entrepreneurs, I suppose that could do something if people are aware. I think younger entrepreneurs are much more aware of the strength of diversity. Um, mm -hmm. And not just because it's, you know, it's not virtue signaling, it's actually matters a great deal. And some of the problems you're seeing right now with all these companies has to do with people who are in violent agreement with each other. And 
create their bubbles around themselves and therefore have no diversity of opinion or thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tricky situation for sure. I want to get back to the journalism question a little bit and talk about the role of journalism in this age of disinformation. Where do you see that? The role of journalism? The journalism is the same. It's the exact same as it was before. You know, I mean, I think the problem is anyone can post anything now. And it's not, you know, there's there's all these words, disinformation, misinformation, etc. I think it's just propaganda. It's being used, these platforms are being used to do what Renee DiResta, uh, who's a researcher at Stanford, calls uh, amplified propaganda. Uh, I think mm-hmm. if we stop using these misinformation, disinformation words, it would be a lot easier. And we said the word propaganda, people get it really quickly. And so when you have amplified propaganda, these platforms allow you to amplify what is essentially propaganda. And as everyone knows, propaganda is typically not truthful. And so journalism has the duty just to continue to do what it's always done, which is shed light, do reporting, continue to unveil truths. I think it's much more difficult when facts are in question. Real facts are, are questionable to people. And I think the flood of this information that is not accurate uh, really does do a disservice to the people who are receiving it and also to journalists. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know we've all, we're all existing in these information bubbles, and I've heard you talk about going to spaces that are different than you know you typically would and trying to reach the mm-hmm. other side of, of mm-hmm. the audience. I mean, how has that been? Do you think that's that's well, it's a not, way it's to not start even different things? information bubbles? It's different. It's it's fact. It's not an agreement on facts, and that's the problem. Is mm-hmm. that one side, and it's mostly the right wing, is being inundated with bad information and beginning mm-hmm. to believe it. Um, not that everything on the left is right, and they obviously do. Uh, there's a lot of bad information on all sides, but the fact of the matter is, a lot of this anti climate change stuff, or you can pick any topic: the election stuff, the false election fraud information. Uh, the anti-vax information. It's just bad information that people are getting and they're making decisions based on not a common set of facts around science or, uh, you know, every fact is doubted. This is my take on the fact and there is no such thing, but everybody has their own, uh, you know, facts have become opinions, which is not really a particularly good place to be as a society. It's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And do you see anything coming up with regulation or how information is going to be Well, we've allowed these... We've allowed these platforms to do whatever they want. They have no editorial capabilities and yet they're editors. And so, mm-hmm. and you know, all they do, all they care about is growth, you know, and that's, so why not just let it, let everything fly? And I think it's done enormous damage because there's, you know, everyone talked about removing gatekeepers. That's all well and good, except when there's no gatekeepers whatsoever. And so you have a flood of toxic waste of information coming across things. And so I think there's there's a lot of uh, new regulation just proposed this week, in fact, around algorithms and how they mm-hmm. the harm, just the way a cigarette does harm or poison does harm or tainted meat does harm, information mm-hmm. does harm. And so there's some around the algorithm right now. There's some around responsibility. There's some reform of Section 230, which protects tech companies unnecessarily at this point. I think a lot of people can argue about how it should be changed, but Fact of the matter is the reason the tech companies are the most valuable in history is because they have full immunity. When you have full immunity, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. Right, right. Yeah, I think once uh, once they can be sued and it's going to affect the yeah. bottom line, things are going to yeah. change for sure. I, I would imagine. It's one way. It's not the only way, but it's certainly you certainly behave differently if you're worried about being sued. I mean, and yeah. as well you should. It's a very good uh, governor to misbehavior. So, you know, you've been able to reach your audience very directly. You were early Mm -hmm. to podcasting, you know, through social media, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Do you see this as a trend that creators are going to have more and more power over 
Yeah, I've, I've always talked about that from the beginning. That's why I started All Things D with Walt Mossberg, is we didn't need big brands to get our information out there. We were super early with the mm-hmm. All Things D website, and then we did an event, and then we moved to podcasting when we did Recode. And so we just are always interested in lots of ways to reach listeners or audience. And so, yeah, I think people do are interested in the individual contributors much more than they are in the, necessarily in the institution. Not to say that things like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or NBC News aren't important. It's just that certain individual creators can reach people much more easily. And so therefore you have things like Substack or you know, all kinds of ways people, there's all kinds of really interesting people who are suddenly working around their own brand, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And you see that continuing to grow and it, it um, be different I think than some, the I think some platform. people can do it. Yeah, I think some people yeah. can do it. Not everybody, right? So yeah. everyone thinks they can. Everyone thinks they can be a star in Hollywood and they can't. So whatever. Okay, good luck. Let's, you know, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I had a question here, which is, you know, Kara, do you like being a star? Is that, I do. Is that I do. Important? It's fantastic. I love it. I love being well known. I mean, it's good. It gets what, me people I want to talk to. It's, I can say what I want. You know, I can do what I want. I don't, I'm not, you know, I do work with the New York Times and I work with Fox Media and I like that where I'm affiliated. But one of the things that's nice is that I can figure out my own destiny and decide what I want to do. I was never a good employee. So it's, this works really well for me. Yeah, it's a great combination of being yeah. entrepreneurial and having access to yeah. those platforms. And then I fail, I rise and fail, by the way. I don't mind failing. And that's, I think, the difference. A lot of most reporters are super risk averse, let's be honest. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they yeah. write about risk, but then they never take them. Well, that's, I mean, that in, in coming to the interview, this entrepreneurial mm-hmm. path that you've had is so mm-hmm. interesting. And I mean, what is it that helps you take those risks? Um I'm I'm a difficult person. I just I, I recognize who I am, right? I wasn't a good employee. I didn't like people telling me what to do. And yeah. so I designed my job so that I didn't necessarily have that much and and whenever it happens, I'm always like I'm so glad I did what I did. Yeah. But I think I recognize the person I was and I recognize that I was creative and instead of belly aching like why don't they do it this way the bosses i just mm-hmm. said oh, i'll just do maybe my own boss and then i'll do it the way i want to do it and you know mm-hmm. fail or succeed it's on me and i like that it make it's a fair trade for myself and so it started with the premise that i'm a bad employee and then it went from there well I, we have kind of a similar path because yeah. <laughs> i did the same thing i started yeah. a company and sold it and now i work in a big company again so yeah. a little taste of both sides of that but Tell me a little bit more about this being a star. What are some of the perks? Star. I wanna, I wanna <laughs> There's no perks. There's, I don't have an I assistant. Hear. There's no perks. There's no perks. I can reach people. Nope. I can reach people easily. Yeah. You know, people know yeah. who I am and that's great. I'm more interested in the fans and who they are. I mean, I've always thought about the fan economy much more so than other reporters. And, you know, there's been well-known journalists for as long as there've been journalists, essentially, all throughout history. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I give a lot of credit to Walt Mossberg, who was my mentor, who was Mm -hmm. sort of the first really well-known journalist to work for a major newspaper. I just think it gives you, you know, you have a voice. And I think people are much more interested in trusted voices than ever before. And including having relationships with them. I spent a lot of time talking to my audience. I spent a lot of time getting feedback. I just, this morning I was returning emails from someone was like, you interrupt too much. I'm like, really, do I? Or do you not like women interrupting? Like, you know, so we ended up having a really interesting discussion about it. And I, people are shocked that I respond to them. And I I kind of like to hear from listeners, even if I, as long as they don't, like the other day, someone called me a moron. And I was like, really? I was like, can you have a discussion with me that doesn't include calling me a moron? And then we ended up having a very interesting discussion about, uh, about stuff. It was during the Matthew McConaughey 
when I had the Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah you know, because I was curious, and one of the questions I wanted to ask was, what's it been like to share so much of yourself? I'm, I listen to lots of Kara Swisher content. I know a lot about you. Yeah, I don't know. But we've never met. You know, how, right, does, that, yeah. how does that feel? Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind. It's, it's fine. I mean, I think one of the things that works on Pivot is that Scott and I have a personal relationship, and I think people like that. They like that we are real people. I think one of the things that reporting has done that's problematic is, um, I was just talking about this with someone, that they've held themselves up above people. And I think people mm-hmm. just want to know you're a person and you have issues and kids and and this and that. And I think what was interesting, I, we were talking about, just recently I was talking about conflicts of interest. And I was like, if you tell people, they trust you. And I think reporters tend to be a little bit snotty in that regard and that they act like they're cleaner than anyone else. And it's okay to have opinions. It's okay to have biases. It's okay to have conflicts. As long as I think you're upfront with the audience. That's uh, Different people disagree with me on this, but I think that one of the reasons reporters aren't very well liked is because they don't know us, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know us very well or we hold ourselves above the society. And I don't think that's a very good way to behave. Well, I've been seeing this debate about objectivity, you know, the, mm-hmm. the old standard of yeah. journalism. That, there's no such that thing. There really, there is no such thing, right? There's no such thing. It wasn't, by the way, there wasn't way back when. This is just a very new conceit. There's a difference between being transparent and versus, like, if you get paid by Facebook to write things and it's secret, yeah. that's very right. different than saying, I like Facebook or I don't like Facebook. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. a very, if you hide, you know, something or other, if you're transparent and people... One of the things we did in the early days of All Things D was we wrote very extensive disclosure. Uh, it was very unusual in the industry. They were page after page of disclosure. And I always mm-hmm. felt, it's so it's, we were saying to listeners or audience or readers, you know, we're not perfect and here's what you might want to be aware of. And then I trust the audience to like decide whether I'm doing a good job or not. And as long as they know, mm-hmm. I felt there was a fair way is to give them as much information as possible and then respect them enough to know what, how to take certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a question about, you know, you and Scott were talking a lot about WeWork and, and mm-hmm. Facebook over mm-hmm. the year, and it's pretty, you know, activist kind yeah. of stuff or however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. What do you think the role is there? I think it's to press. I mean, we, I, I don't think it was activist. It was like, look at this terrible, you know, bottom line. Look, look at these numbers. This, they're shitty. Right. Like yeah. you don't have, we were just pointing out the obvious, this thing isn't making right. money and this is bullshit. Yeah. This is not, you know, I think we were just looking at the numbers and giving our, our, our reported analysis of what was happening. The same thing with Facebook. Yeah. I mean, now everyone's like, Oh, looks like you're right, Kara. I'm like, yeah. Cause I reported <laughs> it. Like I could see it. I could right. anticipate what was coming. And I also had spent a lot of time with these people. And so I wasn't just making it up off the top of my head, like some dumb pundit, like we were doing, we can read. And like, it's sort of like, I just interviewed Adam Schiff or something. And one of the things he talked about, which I have said often is too many people see what they believe and not believe what they see. Mm -hmm. And I believe what Mm -hmm. I see. And so we spent a lot of time on pivot or wherever, you know, when I was interviewing, I'm just trying to think Matthew McConaughey, for example, I was like, you have no experience. Like, I was like, how right. could you ask him that? I'm like, what else would I ask him? He has no experience. Like, and so it's kind of like a parent. And so I think one of the things we do really well on, or I do really well on all my things, it's like, what's with that? Like, I'm looking at this mm-hmm. number. What's with that? That seems like you're losing money. Like, I don't, we're not like mouthing off. We're actually doing reporting and then having an opinion, having a, 
having an analysis. I don't want to say opinion. We analyze the stuff that comes in and give our take. Now, others may disagree, but we base mm-hmm. it in reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do you determine those stories? I'm just curious what, you know, what the uh, what strikes is. are What strikes are fancy? You know what I mean? There's th- things that are obvious when there's a whistleblower at Facebook. We kind of have to talk about it, right? Other things, just uh, I'm very interested in climate change, and I have been for years, and I've been writing about it a lot. You know, I have a lot of kids, and I think it's an existential crisis for our world. So Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time thinking about it. And so I write about it a lot. And other things just strike our fancy, like, you know, Jeff Bezos sending William Shatner into space is funny. And so some things are for fun. Some things are because we want to talk about them or have a a through line, um, like about responsibility. One of mine is responsibility and accountability. For Scott, is sometimes, you know, how companies treat the body politic or teenagers, he's, that's been a big thing of his. And as you saw from these recent whistleblower revelations, mm-hmm. he was right. Like he goes, I mm-hmm. have a feeling that this is what's happening. And of course, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard you say in a brief but spectacular episode that you're optimistic about climate change and that it can get solved. Uh, you, you I guess optimistic. More. I don't know if I want to say optimistic. I think it's, <laughs> I, I think I would like to be, I would like to be optimistic. How's that? I think I'm truly worried about our planet. And I think that you know, but I'm a, I'm a watcher of all those movies, you know, that, that like uh, the day after tomorrow. Disaster, disaster movie. Yes, I am. I'm a disaster <laughs> movie aficionado. And yeah. I, I really am. It's kind of crazy. Um, but I, um, I, lo- I love those movies too. I, love I was them. about to, I'm getting on the plane and I'm actually thinking like, oh, I wonder if there's a plane disaster movie. Oh, I don't know. Oh, no, no, don't do that. Me. That's not a good thing. That's, I don't do that. I don't go that far. But, um, but I, you know, like I, I think about like how, there's a really old joke about the internet. It says, you know, computer says I'm doing all these things. The internet says I'm doing all these things. And then electricity says, fuck you all. I'm electricity. You can't do anything without me. And I'm like, yeah, electricity. And so I feel like, yeah, planet not just being destroying itself. Really. It doesn't really matter what we think about anything. Uh, whether it's Donald Trump or Facebook or, you know, vaccines, because if the planet, you know, self-destructs, we're kind of nothing matters whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, what have you seen out there that's encouraging or who have you talked um, to? I just think I want to get people interested. There's been, you know, recently there's been an enormous surge in climate change tech stuff. Now, that's not the only thing. We have to deal with mitigation. We have to deal with consumerism and things like that. Less usage. You saw drops during the pandemic when people weren't moving. We have to think about right. how we go to work and how we move around the planet. Um, you can't mm-hmm. stop all human activity. We've got to think about multi-planet living. Like that's why I interviewed Elon Musk recently about that. So yeah. I, I think there's lots, like a lot of things, there's a lot of solutions. And so I like to look at all of them, but I don't think we can do this one without global cooperation, but two, without some technological leaps that we need to make, whether it's cars or mitigation or electricity, all these things without, without it, I think we're doomed in that regard. Yeah, so. it does seem like the momentum is shifting a, mm, a little bit. We'll see. But I don't know. We'll I see. Don't know. Yeah. I don't I think the forces of retrograde are so strong in our society right now uh, that it's, mm-hmm. I, I worry about it. It does feel like getting pulled under a little yeah. sometimes for sure. Yeah. Well, they're suicidal. They're really suicidal is what they are ultimately. Yeah. You know, and you said in a recent interview that Elon Musk is a big brain chasing a big idea, you know, yeah. and, and that we, you had met him early and kind of saw that. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is is there a, a female big brain chasing a big idea out there? Oh, there's lots of them. Um, you know, a lot of them are in uh, science, like Jennifer Doudna, who is uh, the, mm-hmm. who did CRISPR. Really interesting. We I spend a lot of time trying to find more prominent women. But I think the I, I think someone like Jennifer Doudna is a good example or. 
the couple, uh, one a man and a woman who created the mRNA technology that, or used the mRNA technology that created the Pfizer vaccine. Often they're in science, in areas of science, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. but yes, certainly. Not, not in technology, unfortunately. There's There's a few, but not in the way you think of Elon or Steve Jobs. Yeah. And, you know, in that technology space, I wonder if more women are going into the sciences because it's a better place to be and it's mm-hmm. more meaningful. And do you see a change in those in the tech businesses? I, I heard a, a clubhouse recently with Mark mm-hmm. Andreessen and folks about Web 3.0 and changing the model away from mm-hmm. platforms and, and some of the changes you're seeing there. I mean, do you think the sort of infrastructure of how the web operates is going to change? Well, I think it has, it's had no regulation to speak of. Like imagine if the financial industry had this little regulation, what would happen? You know, I mean, the excess is the, is the order of the day, especially when money making is involved and it's just the way it is. I'm not saying anything that's fresh and new to anybody, Mm -hmm. but I think that the idea that certain platforms have this much power certainly has to change. Um, yeah. I'm not sure Mark Andreessen wants it to change, but um, because he's benefiting rather significantly from. The well, way that was the irony of the conversation. Well, it's it was not irony. All about... he's, he's just—that's the way he is. He has no—he yeah. has no awareness of hypocrisy. So whatever, mm-hmm. whatever he can, you know. I think the idea of so many um, five companies being so powerful is problematic on any stretch. Yeah. Whether even if it was like food, if it was trains, if it was cars, you know, it's right. a problem. Right. Indeed. Okay, shifting topics a little bit to sure. you've spoken with so many interesting leaders. Is there mm-hmm. a trend that you've seen that with successful entrepreneurs or business mm, leaders? I, I would not. I would say no. I mean, I think one of the things is persistence. I think a lot of them are very persistent as people. Um, yeah. I think that's interesting. I think they often, narcissism tends to mm-hmm. run in the group. Um <laughs> sometimes malignant narcissism, but in general, no, I think it's really quite a, you know, it's a really interesting, different people I talk to, especially in tech, they're quite different. I wouldn't say uh, Elon Musk is like Jeff Bezos in any way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. and I don't think you would think so either if you met them or Brian Chesky or Susan Wojcicki um, Mm -hmm. or anybody like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really hard to give, uh, narcissism seems to be one of the things. Narcissism tends to be a commonality. <laughs> well, you've got to want to be in charge. So yeah, I, I guess. guess yeah, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> that's that's part of it. So, who scares you or intimidates you? Mm, nobody. Who? Scary people. <laughs> scary people intimidate me. I don't know. I someone's asking me, "What are you scared of?" I said, "I'm scared of scary things, but I'm not scared of non-scary <laughs> things." I don't. Um, as people, um, I said, like, "I don't know." Nobody yet. Nobody yet. My toddler's preschool class has gotten me sick eight times this year so far in, in a very short since September. They terrify me going there because I'm like, which will I get today? Hand, foot and mouth disease, strep throat, <laughs> respiratory virus. What? What's today's? Yeah, that's what's. I know. I um, have a, You know, yeah. becoming incapacitated scares me. Uh, my dad died when I was really young and I have a lot of kids. And so. When I had a stroke a couple of years back and that I, I the one thing I was scared of was for my children, like because I had experienced it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have a three and a half year old and 12 year old twins. I'm trying to keep up, but I'm, yeah. I'm still behind you a little bit. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get to four. You know, I, I, I told you I made this joke. I think I said it in front of Mark Benioff, which is that only lesbians and evangelicals are having this many children and we're getting ours vaccinated, of course. Um, so. <laughs> It's kind of mean to evangelicals, but honestly, some deserve it. Their numbers are appalling on the 
vaccination. On the vaccination. Yeah. Indeed they are. Well, we're, we're trying to uh, keep the planet populated. I just, I just got a, I got a booster. Yeah, I just got a booster. Did you, which one did you get? The BioNTech one, the one from Pfizer. Yeah. Um, I yeah. had, when I got my first one, I actually wrote the two creators of it and I said, thanks. And they're so, they're so incredibly humble. They're like, oh, it's okay. Good luck. And I was like, <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much. But no, I got the, the Pfizer one. And so I just got the third one, which I'm uh, happy to have. Yeah. The vaccines are an incredible tech story and not really talked about in it. I mean, it, it's such a shame that that story has become so politicized, mm-hmm. you know, that we're not celebrating the fact that we were able to create those vaccines. And again, is that, are we just in this intractable place where, where something mm-hmm. like that just becomes political? Well, I think we our country is much more political than you realize. I mean, we did have a civil war, if you recall. Um, and, you know, even at the beginning, if you look historically from the beginning of our country, it has been a rough road in terms of uh, uniting people. I mean, there was people forget the Whiskey Rebellion. I don't. Um, and I think we, you know, we've had a very strange, everyone's sort of surprised by this strain of don't tread on me. But it's not that because mm-hmm. that's very different than I'm a selfish prick. Like, right. So. They, people think they're talking about liberty when, in fact, they're talking about lack of empathy for people and lack of community mm-hmm. that they should feel, you know, that everybody belongs together as a group. Um, but that's a very common thing from people in this country is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, hey, mm-hmm. I, I got mine, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. This is not a fresh new thing. It's just been amplified by the Internet. And now we can see it, you know, in a much mm-hmm. more. And they've been not just amplified, but encouraged to do so by the president of the United States and others. So selfishness mm-hmm. is one thing, but this is this is moved beyond that. Right. I think that idea that, you know, human nature doesn't necessarily change, but it's just and we're in this amplified state where we see it. In fact, I, I was doing some research. I go to your Twitter feed and I'm scrolling through and I'm just there's so much here and everything is coming in and distracting. Mm-hmm. I was curious how you stay so focused on um, what you're doing. I, when I have work to do, I finish it. You know, I tend to yeah. like I'm on Twitter a lot. That's my big um, uh addiction, I guess, if, if you had to pick it. I mean, I don't want on Facebook at all. Like, I'm like, no, thank you, sir. Um, yeah. but I just don't, I think they're data thieves. And so I just don't feel like sharing my data. I'm not on Instagram. I don't feel like looking at performative people being performative about their lives. I'm not particularly right. interested, nor was I before when it was in real life. So, um, yeah. I like Twitter cause I like news. I spent a lot of time reading news on it and I'm a news junkie. And so that's real. I'm not really that interested in the back and forth. And recently, you know, I actually watched this. I just did an interview with Monica Lewinsky. I think it's one of my best interviews recently. It was so good. It was that beautiful. Was it really was. Yeah. What an interesting yeah. woman. Um, what a great and conversation. It was. And one of the things that was interesting to me was the, even though she's gotten a lot of attention for other things, she did this documentary that I thought was one of the best documentaries on cancel culture that I've seen because it had a nuanced point of view. You didn't have one group on one side saying no to canceling and the other saying yes to canceling. It's a very nuanced and complicated issue. And they did a yeah. beautiful job depicting that, you know, really mm-hmm. depicting the problems and, and that everything isn't the same. And by the end, they actually started, remember the guy who had the um, supposedly bought all that um, hand sanitizer thing. It was not what, it, this is not what happened. It, that, that what happened to him was really quite unfair. And there's a point at the end where he's crying because someone was nice to him and you really start to understand the need for empathy in our society. And it was just beautifully, mm-hmm. beautifully done. And so mm-hmm. I tend to spend a lot of time on Twitter or, or watching TV. That's pretty much mm-hmm. the stuff I do in my free time. Mm-hmm. Probably hanging with, I have a lot of kids. They talk a lot. So. 
You do need to spend if you have them. You got to spend some time with them. Oh, you know, I spend a lot just, of time. They, they love me. you know. Everyone's like, "Oh, my son's never talked to me." I'm like, "My son's never stopped talking to me." <laughs> like, I know really? this past year and a half, it's just we're together all the time, and it's I know great. It's like, I, that's been a fascinating. Fascinating. I get home and my son is like, oh, let's talk. Let's discuss uh, whatever, like immigration policy. I'm like, really? Can we just not? Can we talk about anything else? So I, is I'm he, blessed. He's taking, to, he's taking a year just, off? Is he? No, is that's the college Louis? student. That's Louie. Yeah. Louie's the college yeah. student. Yes, he's taking a year off. And my other son is 16 and just really loves to debate whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever it is. He loves to talk about it. And so we have a really great time. <laughs> Just some days I'm like, oh my God, I just interviewed Maria Ressa. Can we not talk about this? Like, who, you know, who is, you know, it's just sometimes things take a lot out of you, some conversations. I can believe it. Well, he's got a good uh, debate partner. He does. Sure. He With- does. He does. <laughs> and he's, he's actually way ahead of me already. So I can see the day when I'm going to be losing all arguments with him. I think we all see that with our kids. Yeah. My my line from my son is he's way smarter than me. He just he's just not experienced enough yet. Um, um I think mine has passed me at this point. <laughs> well, mine's twelve. So I got, oh, I got yeah. a little a little yeah. time. Uh, um hey, I was curious if there is a story in your past that you feel like got away, that you dropped, or you had the wrong hunch. Where's um, one that went wrong? I think probably that's a good question. I'm gonna think. Um, I think I got to most of them. I think I was slightly too late. I, I wasn't, though, because I made up for lost time on Uber. I think I didn't see that, the malevolence that was happening there early on. And But then I then someone I was going out with actually said, you need to really focus on this. And I did. Um, I uh-huh. give all credit to that person. But I wasn't quite as like, this is a real issue. That was one. But then we, then we did some amazing coverage at Recode. Really tough stuff that was great, that I thought was great. Um I think probably, no, no, I think we've been pretty good on stuff. I think we, you know, I think we, I didn't think these companies would be this uh, valuable, I guess. I was, I'm sort of surprised by that, but now I'm not. And I've, I've made some pretty good guesses about that recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So no, Great. not really. You know, and we had talked with some of the women we interviewed at the Fortune event just about mm-hmm. mentorship and yeah. sort of either as a mentor or a mentee, yep. what that's meant for them. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, I think it's critically important. I spend a lot of time making sure, you know, especially young women, especially, um, although I help young men too. That's not, I, I spend a lot of time trying to help people, either giving them context or advice or things like that, because I had had lucky to have that in my career. And I think it's really important. It's critically, Walt Mossberg, for example, who I just did a podcast with first way, um, mm-hmm. has been an invaluable. He changed my life and was mm-hmm. incredibly generous, great with advice. He helped my career. My, I wouldn't be where I am without him. And so I think it's really important to reach down and out to people, not just even on your level. I spent a lot of time talking to friends about their careers trying to get them to think it a different way. I think it's critically important to do so, not just women with women, but that is that is important because men do it all the time, but to promising people and because you can really have an impact on their lives if you, and actually an influence, like let them think mm-hmm. about ethics. And I spent a lot of time talking to young people about ethics and, um, and things like that. And I think eventually it sinks in with people. It's just like raising kids, I guess. Yeah. And when you say think differently, obviously that's different for different people in their situations, but mm-hmm. is there a theme there about how to think differently? Or uh, that people I, I, should I, think I will. Oh, well, I, I always spend a lot of time making people question their assumptions, you know, well, like with women, especially, I'm always like, 
they always talk to me about things they're offered. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And they, they're not mm-hmm. used to asking that question. They're only mm-hmm. used to asking what they're offered. And I'm like, what, what do you want to do? I, I say that to a lot of people. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And I think people don't spend enough time thinking about that. We're blessed in this country with choice at this moment in time. And mm-hmm. I think we don't, we don't exercise. We feel like we're being carried along by a, by a flood or river that we don't have any control over. And we do. And mm-hmm. so I, sp- mm-hmm. I do spend a lot of time saying, think about what you want to do. Is this the best use of your time all day? Uh, you know, I took a lot of actually inspiration from that Steve Jobs um, speech at Stanford. You know, mm-hmm. he talked about mm-hmm. that. He talked about that a lot. And I find having a dad who died when he was 34, having a stroke, I'm very aware of time. And so I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time people saying you don't have that kind of time, which is something that, I think about a lot. You don't have that kind mm-hmm. of time. I mean, one thing that I think is hard about that is, you know, it seems for you that it, it hasn't been as scary to do that or it's more natural no. or you know, yeah. you're driven to do it. For those who aren't and you're going to reach out to that person or you're afraid to send that email or you're just mm-hmm. kind of stuck, how do you break that? What, what? Well, that gets ingrained in women especially. Don't be too noisy. Don't be too streperous. Don't be this. Don't be that. I mean, there, you know, there's so many studies. Women are not rewarded for being bossy and men are. I don't want to use the term bossy, mm-hmm. but you know, firm. And so, you know, there's a lot of signals in society that are pushing back on doing that. And I think my whole thing with everything is, including giving dating advice, friends, I'm like, are you going out with anyone now? No, you're not. What do you have to lose? Like, you're not going out with it. Like, you have nothing to lose. And I always think about that. You have nothing to lose. Right. Um, right. And even if you have something to lose, so lose it. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Like, it's not, people are, are so cautious about so many things in life, and they act as if they're going to be here for hundreds of years, and they're just not. Right. Right. You got to take about, some risk. No, I always do that. Whenever I want, I want to do something that I know I should do, I'm like, oh, I'll be dead in 50 years. Okay. And then I just get up and do it. I do. So, <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I, this won't exist. Like this book, I'll never, you know, this book will last longer than I will. So Right. Uh, I was curious about the book. Can you give yeah. us any, a little preview? Oh, no, I cannot because I haven't finished it. No, uh, it's going to, it's funny. It's very funny. And some people don't come off well. I'm sorry to tell them, but they don't. It's my opinion about a lot of people. And some of it's very, I would say it's funny, but it will not be funny to everybody. Right. But I think it makes me happy. So that's all that matters. <laughs> I just read a review of Katie Couric's new book and I knew you guys were, you know, yes. did some episodes yeah. together. Yeah. It sounds like that's a great read. Have you read uh, that one? I, ha- yeah. I have it. I have it right here on my desk. I've read parts of it and she's actually yells at me. She's like, you have to read the whole thing. It's, you know, she's getting a lot of shit <laughs> for it. Um, you know, of course it's yeah. a lot of it's misogynist a little bit. Uh, she, mm-hmm. she, you know, a lot, lot of the men who behaved in ways that they are saying she behaved, don't get any kind of shit for it. So I have to read the whole thing. Um, I think she was trying to be honest about herself and people Mm -hmm. don't like that in a woman Mm -hmm. to say, I was Mm -hmm. a shitty mentor to women. How dare she say that? I'm like, well, she's telling you she isn't. Like she (laughs) wasn't. So she's being honest. Like what's wrong with that? Like, sorry, she didn't, but she's now admitting it and talking about why she didn't. I think that's valuable. I have to read the whole thing, so I'm not that intelligent on it. But I'm going to be doing a podcast with her, so uh, I will have read the book by then. Okay, great. All right, I know we're coming up on time, and I've got two last questions. So the sure. one, one question we asked everybody uh, earlier this week was, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Oh, that's a good question. Running a coffee store in Kauai, <laughs> in Hanalei, in Kauai. Disappeared. That sounds... Lovely. Yes. It was. Uh, there's a coffee shop that I love so much there. Um, and I would love to 
just actually, you know what? Not working, sitting there, drinking coffee. Sitting there, right, uh, right. I would, I, I, I'm going to be surprisingly leave someday and just go. That's what I keep telling I'm, people. I, I mean, just the thought go. I had was how long are you going to last doing that, Karen? Uh, well, all, now that everything I have all these kids, doing. I'm expecting another baby in December. So now I can never retire. Now I have to uh, yeah. like, pay for school the rest of my life. So I was hoping to move to Hawaii in a couple. My son, my oldest son, who's 19, turned to me and he said, you're almost out. Because I have a 16-year-old oh, and a 19-year-old. He goes, you were close, but now you're in again. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> in again. So... I know I did the I did the same thing not yeah. quite as long but yeah yes. the oldest person on the playground the parent on the playground <laughs> that is my fate but it's a good fate my kids are wonderful it, it is it's the, there's nothing better than yeah. that okay and then I wanted to ask you are sure. you a cat person a dog person or just a human baby person oh I like them all I like cat I have a cats I have dogs I have lots of children's so all three I don't all like uh, ferrets and I hate 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 <laughs> guinea pigs. So we had a guinea pig one. I'm, of course, we're going to get another one at some point uh, in my history. But I like cats and dogs both. So both. All right. Equal opportunity pet yep. owner. Yeah. Wonderful. Well. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. That was Kara Swisher, host of both the New York Times Opinion podcast, Sway, and the Vox Media podcast, Pivot. And you'll soon be able to hear and see exclusive content from Pivot on Salesforce Plus. So head over to salesforce.com slash plus, P-L-U-S, to check that out. And tune in next week. I'll be speaking with Sarah Fryer, CEO of Nextdoor. Thanks for listening today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. <laughs>